Do you think work can change the world? Do you have a little rebel in you? If you said yes, this is your podcast. You don't have to settle for bad management, bad leadership, and bad workplaces. There are better ways. Let's find them together. I'm your host, Stosh D. Walsh, and this is Insubordinate. Better workplaces, better world. Where are you going? How are you going to get there? Who is making the journey to that place? These are questions managers and leaders must answer, but the answers also inform another critical component of thinking about the future in relationships, mentoring. Welcome back. Thank you as always for listening. Today, we'll explore mentoring, how it differs from other applications, what the goal of mentoring is, and how to be a good mentor. Let's start with a quick comparison. Like management and leadership, Mentoring is concerned with relationships, but for a different reason. As we've enumerated on earlier episodes of this podcast, management is primarily concerned with relationships toward engagement and the environment, and leadership is concerned with relationships toward the future and the common good. Here, then, are some aspects of each and how mentoring compares to them. If you are telling people about a place you've never been, that's inspiring. And the goal of inspiring is to create hope. Hope, as defined by the late Shane Lopez and others, is agency and pathways. Agency being the will to do something and pathways being the way to do something. If you are going to a place none of you has ever been, that's leading. And the goal of leading is creating an ideal future. If you are helping people to a place you've never been, even might never go, that's coaching, and the goal of coaching is empowerment. If you are taking people to a place you've already been, that's mentoring, and the goal of mentoring is to guide. Mentoring can be episodic, even appointment-based. It can be long-term or short-term, but it must be a positive relationship, not a negative one. Earlier in my career, I facilitated many seminars in which we always led an activity in which individuals were asked to talk about people who had had significant impact on their lives. Invariably, someone would talk about a negative influence, an example they didn't want to follow, an example of what not to do. I don't doubt that that has significant impact and even can change the course of a person's trajectory or career. However, Mentoring needs to be a positive example, a positive experience, a positive relationship. In order to be a good mentor or guide, you must claim your influence in the lives of others. It is absolutely paramount that you see not only that you have something to offer, but be as specific as possible about what that is and to whom that would be beneficial. There are five things great mentors do. The first is recount experiences. They tell stories. They act with humility. They act with authenticity. Part of the issue we have as potential mentors is that we suffer from what Chip and Dan Heath call the curse of knowledge in a book called Made to Stick, which I highly recommend. In essence, the point Chip and Dan Heath make is that we get to a point where we have a certain level of expertise or a certain level of knowledge, and then we forget what it's like not to have that. And as mentors, that's a critical component of what we're offering other people, that knowledge, that experience, and how we gained it. 
but we forget about the process that it took to get there. We just arrived there because of our experience and because of our career trajectory and because of the exposure that we had to different elements or different relationships. And then we forgot what it was like to have to make all of those steps to get where we are because we functioned at an increased level. We don't remember what it's like to fall down a bunch of times when we learned how to ride a bike. We just get on a bike and ride it. So that curse of knowledge has to be overcome in order to be able to recount experiences because the best mentoring knowledge comes through experience. I'm often asked by aspiring entrepreneurs about the lessons that I've learned having gone into business for myself in 2016. One of the things I always talk about is building a website. If I could do it all over again, I would spend much less time and much less money building a website. Now, a website is important, and I have a website I'm proud of, but comparatively speaking, the amount of time and money that I spent on creating that website and having it created would have been better spent in other places. So telling that story and having a measure of humility that says, I made mistakes, I've done things that I wish I wouldn't have done, being authentic about that is a way for me to recount experiences and hopefully help someone else. As a quick aside, the best definition of humility I've ever heard is knowing your greatness, but allowing others to respond to it as they will. So there's certainly an element of humility that says, I make mistakes. I do things wrong from time to time. But there's also an element of humility that says, I'm capable. I have knowledge. I have experience. I have expertise. And I can give that to other people. And I move through the world in a way that's unique and different. And that unique and different is something that other people can respond to or accept or embrace or reject or walk away from. But it's up to them. I don't require a certain kind of response because of my humility. The second thing great mentors do is provide perspectives, processes they've employed, lessons they've learned, what to anticipate in the future as a mentee is moving along the pathway toward a specific destination. Mentoring includes telling. It doesn't always ask. My grandfather was a great mentor in my life. When I graduated from high school, I needed a summer job to save money for college. At the time, he was an executive at Pepsi-Cola, and he got me a job on second shift at a warehouse loading pallets. And he insisted on driving me to my first day on that job. During the drive, he said to me, I hired the person who runs this facility. And I've already told him that if you're no good, he should fire your ass. I got you this job, but it's your responsibility to keep it. See, my grandfather was functioning as a mentor in that moment because he was providing perspectives. He was providing me information about what to anticipate. He was telling me that just because he'd gotten me a job and just because he was the individual who ran this plant's boss's boss didn't mean that I was going to get any special treatment or enjoy some sort of advantage that would enable me to work less hard than anybody else on the crew. The third thing great mentors do is illuminate options. They ask questions for clarity. They help mentees discern their motivation and the outcome they're pursuing. This is where mentoring does ask. It helps the mentee to clarify where they want to go and how they want to get there. It also helps the mentor decide what's the best way to help, remembering that they're going somewhere they've already been. 
the mentee has never been there. Even asking why questions is okay here. For example, guidance counselors across the country do this every day in schools. This is an example of episodic mentoring. Individual students come into those guidance offices thinking about different options that they might have for college. And guidance counselors ask questions like, why are you interested in that? What's attractive to you about that? Are you prepared for the kind of workload that's going to require or the number of degrees that it might require to get into that field of expertise? Those are the kinds of questions that illuminate options. And sometimes they're the kinds of questions that help us to identify what we didn't know about a potential pathway and decide on a different one as a result. The fourth thing great mentors do is express encouragement. They do this by caring. They do this by setting expectations and by asking mentees to live up to expectations while also having the confidence that the mentee is capable and is going to follow through and going to become something and arrive someplace that they've never been or done before. The best mentors love their mentees. That sounds weird to some of you, but love in this instance is a more intense form of care. Great mentors are invested. They expect something. They see mentees in the best light and they demonstrate confidence that the mentee can get to wherever they've charted a course to go. Several years ago, I did a TEDx talk called Lead Like They're Dying. At the end of that talk, I invited audience members to look through the contacts of their phone and identify an individual who needed to be thanked for the influence on that person's life and also an individual who the audience member wanted to be influential toward. Let me invite you to pause this podcast for just a moment and think about the people in your life who functioned as mentors, who've expressed encouragement to you, who've cared about you, who've loved you, who've seen you as capable and been confident in your ability to arrive at the future state that you desired and helped you get there. Drop that person a line, make a phone call, send them a gift, acknowledge their presence and their influence in your life. We all stand on someone else's shoulders. We've all become what we are as a result of someone else's influence and help. The last thing great mentors do is offer resources. These are resources like availability, time, relationships or network, as well as consistency. They expand the boundaries and definitions of not only a person, but also what is available to them. My favorite story from my own life about this aspect of mentoring is my fourth grade teacher, Sue Wallen. One day, she kept me after class, and for the life of me, I couldn't think of what I had done wrong, that she would want to talk to me after everyone else had left the room. When I approached her desk, she said to me, you're bored, aren't you? And I remember very vividly thinking, is that a trick question? But she answered it for me and said, I think you're bored. And basically, she outlined independent study for me as a fourth grader. She allowed me to choose whatever subject I wanted and then said that I could go ahead of the class and read the chapter or do the problems. And then when I was finished, I could take the test whenever I felt ready and move on to the next chapter. But there was a caveat. She said that if I chose history, for example, I would have to read the entire chapter, even if the rest of the class wasn't assigned the entire chapter to read. And I would also have to complete all the questions, not just some of the questions, at the end of a chapter. 
if it was math and the class had only the even number questions, I had to do them all. So there was an expectation, an increased performance that I needed to live up to. I went home, thought about it for a day, came back and chose history. I read the chapter, I did the questions, I took the test, and failed. She marked it up with her red pen, handed it back to me, and said, okay, you're going to have to figure this out. And I had to learn how to make good decisions about managing my time. I had to learn better study habits. I had to learn when I truly knew the material versus when I had just read the material. All because she expected something of me. She increased the standard. But by doing that, she expanded my definition of who I was and what was possible for me. You see, I'm the first person in my family to graduate from college. I had no idea that that was possible because I didn't know anyone who went to college. The only people in my life at that time who had gone to college were my teachers, and I obviously hadn't thought about it by then. This whole world was opened up to me in a way that I had never known existed and probably never would have known existed if this one teacher hadn't decided to offer her resources and expand my definition of who I was and what I was capable of. Great mentors in this space are also very specific. They tell someone about a program a company has, or they nominate them for training, or they make introductions and expand the mentee's network. Sometimes it's just a matter of spending time. I also benefited greatly when I was younger from the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. I grew up in a fatherless home, and I had big brothers when I was younger who just spent time with me. They picked me up, we went to the movies, or we went and played cards, or we walked around parks, or we went fishing. That resource of availability changed the trajectory of my life. They were specific about what they were offering. Let me pause for a moment and talk about this from an organizational perspective as well. You've heard the term open-door policy before. I despise that term. That term says, if you need something, come to me. Rather than, here's what I have, here's what's on offer to you, how can I help you receive it? Those two postures are very, very different. I don't mean to say that managers and leaders who say they have an open-door policy have ill intentions. But from my perspective, it's not enough. It's not specific. It's not offering resources. It's just saying, come by if you need something. That also begs another question that's important to address. Should your company or organization have a formal mentoring program? The answer is yes, but. Remember that we defined mentoring as taking someone to a place where you've already been, functioning as a guide. A formal mentoring program can facilitate this, but it needs to be specific. It needs to have an experience-based development component. So the person who's being mentored is actually going through specific challenging experiences to help them on a trajectory toward a destination, whether that's a promotion or increased responsibility or a certification or anything like that. The mentor's job is to be able to guide them toward that thing because the mentor has already been there. So there's a specific coming together and a specific offering that the mentor can provide that the mentee will benefit directly from. Naturally, care and love and involvement can grow from there, but it gives us a solid starting point for a formal mentoring program because we know specifically the reason why these two people are being paired together 
and why they should be meeting and what we expect the outcome to be at the end of their time together, whether that is a short, medium, or long-term arrangement. Whether it's formal or informal mentoring, short-term or long-term, mentoring is about guiding others, and it's about claiming your influence, choosing to be part of someone else's life, their journey, their career. You have something to offer. Don't shrink away thinking someone else is better qualified or that somehow you aren't enough. Stop being modest. Start being generous. Insubordinate episodes release weekly on Tuesday mornings. If you found this episode helpful, please consider rating or writing a review for the podcast or sharing it with a friend. As always, resources to help you are listed in the program notes. Until next time, stay with the program.